Okay, uh, let me answer uh, some questions that have been uh, sitting in my files, and uh, I hope that uh, you're patient, that I'm coming to the questions that you're sending. And please keep uh, sending them in. There are some really good questions uh, in these files, which I've yet to answer, and the reason for that, as I mentioned earlier, that it really takes me a little preparation uh, to do that. And right now, uh, I just haven't been able to find the time uh, to prepare. But when I do, I will get around to it. In fact, this morning I set out my uh, schedule for completing uh, this book. Uh, and it looks like I need to do five pages a day, which anyone who has experience with writing knows that writing for five full pages a day in part-time writing is uh, not, a, not an easy task. So please give me your blessings. Here's a question from Naika Devidasi, who says, When Jagai and Madai met Lord Nityananda and Lord Chaitanya, they surrendered to their lordships and thus were liberated from the reactions of their sinful activities. What about a devotee who, after initiation, commits sins, later on feels remorse from the heart, and again tries to follow the devotional path? Will all the reactions from past sinful activities be removed? All right, let me answer uh, the question here that wasn't asked, uh, but implicit, and then I'll answer the question that was directly asked. Uh, a devotee, a real sincere devotee, is not so much concerned about whether he's suffering and enjoying the results of his past activities. Uh, there is so much karma karmic reaction that we may have to uh, suffer for in this lifetime. Uh, there are the results of offenses that we may have to suffer for in the example that was given here of an initiated devotee who then again breaks his vows of initiation. Uh, a devotee accepts that he should be responsible for what he's done. Children want to get away from being responsible for the results of their activities. Adults realize, I made a decision, I committed some activity, why shouldn't I get the result of that? In other words, why should I be free from the results of my sins? Why should I be free from the results of my offenses? That mentality in itself is jnana karma dhyanavrittam, uh, is a desire for liberation that someone wants to be free from suffering. Uh, a devotee is willing to do that, but a devotee doesn't want to lose the association of Vaishnavas, the opportunity to render devotional service and to chant Hare Krishna. These things he begs for and prays for. So if he can have these things, then fine, let me suffer. So that, I think, is the more important part of the unanswered question. Uh, he let me give a direct answer to the question. Uh, forgiveness of a sin is generally always achieved. Uh, if someone really sincerely repents and is remorseful, uh, then spiritual master, Vaishnavas, and uh, Krishna will forgive that person for their sins. Forgiving your sins is one aspect that does not necessarily include being freed from the sinful reaction. Uh, that's the other part of uh, forgiveness, that you're also forgiven for the reaction to your sins. Uh, that's really up to 
Krishna? Uh, does he want to completely wipe the slate clean, or does he want to give you some or all of the results of your offenses? It will depend on him, on what he thinks is best for you, uh, in order to actually really make sure that, well, I got free of my sinful reaction once, maybe it's not such a bad thing to commit that sin again, I can do the same thing and get free again. So Krishna knows what's in our minds, and he'll act in such a way that's uh, best for us. But once again, back to my first point, but so what? I may have to suffer for uh, my deeds. That's what life's about, taking responsibility for what you've done. Here's a question from Radhago Indadas. Is there a place uh, for a sense of true self-confidence in devotional service? If there is, how does it look? What is its genuine source? And how can we learn to maintain a healthy state of self-confidence in our devotional practice, but at the same time avoid the quality of pride which usually spoils our devotional mood? Very good question. Uh, yes, there is such a thing as self-confidence. However, uh, the word itself doesn't really represent what it is that we're talking about. Because if you're just confident in yourself, uh, that most likely can be equated to pride. Uh, what is real self-confidence of a Vaishnava? I have confidence in Krishna as being Bhaktavatsala, the well-wisher of uh, the devotee. I have confidence in the truth uh, of the statements of Shastra uh, and in their authenticity. I have faith in the well-wishes of Vaishnavas, uh, in the uh, words uh, of my spiritual masters, spiritual masters. I have faith and confidence in the process of devotional service by following which uh, I will attain the path free of all misery, the path of perfection, the state of perfection by going back home, back to Godhead. I have confidence in all of these things. So just like touching electricity, you become electrified. When you have confidence uh, in uh, these principles of uh, absolute truth, uh, then you as a person have confidence that if I follow the words of the Supreme Lord, if I ha follow the process of devotional service, then I will uh, attain that uh, result. I have confidence that if I do this, then everything will come to pass. That is called self-confidence. But that self-confidence is rooted in humility. Uh, it's rooted in confidence of all of these transcendental principles that have as its fulcrum uh, confidence and uh, devotion in those things that are in relationship to the Supreme Lord. Whereas pride is that I am a great person, I am a great musician, I am a great Vaishnava, I am very intelligent. Things that are disconnected uh, from the Lord and not as a consequence of a service attitude, but as a consequence of a sense of uh, independence from those things uh, related uh, to Krishna. So it's a very interesting principle. While thinking oneself to be lower than a blade of grass, not being worth anything, even being walked on, still a devotee is fully confident. As, for instance, Srila Prabhupada explained, I keep my head up because I know I can never be defeated.
Why did Srila Prabhupada say that? Because he knew he had the absolute truth, not because he was such a intelligent person. Srila Prabhupada said in Jaipur, you know why these people are uh, worshipping me? Because I am free from sex life. Why is Srila Prabhupada free from sex life? Because he's taken shelter of Krishna and Krishna has protected him from the influence of material energy. So this is real self-confidence. Now, question by Yuvaraj Das. Do we actually need to oil our japa beads and neck beads in order to avoid cracking in the course of time? Uh, do we need to wash our japa beads on a regular basis, uh, like monthly with soap and water? While some devotees I have asked say these procedures are necessary to protect japa beads or neck beads and keep them clean, others say it is not the right way to treat Tulsi Devi, and it could also be offensive. Uh, beads can be not soaked because if you soak them too long they become very soft and they'll crack anyway uh, but uh, they can be soaked to give them uh, moisture to be water repellent and as you stated here to keep them from cracking uh, if for some reason they become uh, dirty or soiled uh, then uh, neck beads as well as japa beads can be uh, washed uh, I don't believe that there's any such injunction that they need to be done regularly on a monthly basis. Uh, for instance, uh, Radhashamasundar, sometimes uh, because soot accumulates uh, or other type of uh, dirt comes, uh, we wash them off with soap and water. We do it uh, according to necessity, and it probably balances out uh, once a year or something like that. So Tulsi Devi is pure, but there's a distinction between pure and clean. Something may be pure, but at the same time it may still get dirty. And Vaishnavas want to be clean. On the other hand, if you uh, wash your japa beads and neck beads uh, with water and soap, uh, that will also cause damage if you're doing that on a very regular basis. So, as needed. The last question from Dandagrit Prabhu. Uh, I recently heard figures that ISKCON was distributing 16 million books in 77 compared to 2 million last year. Wow, I almost fainted. Also, I saw a couple of news articles indicating that devotees are more acceptable now than in the 1970s when they possessed a negative image. Have we, in the name of not upsetting others, lost a lot of our missionary spirit and neglected Srila Prabhupada's desire to distribute his books? But on the other hand, do we now have a better foundation from which to preach? Please give your insight on the subject. Well, if uh, this statistic, and I have no reason to doubt what Dandakrit Prabhu says is correct, that we're distributing tw uh, 12% of the amount of books that we were 30 years ago, it's a real shame. Uh, and Hare Krishna, uh, we had a negative image in the 70s, somewhat, uh, but not necessarily because of our book distribution or preaching, although that did play some part to it. Uh, there was a whole movement that swept the world, paranoia about cults and sects. We were new. Our original or initial novelty of the Krishna consciousness movement wore off, and uh, people saw that we were actually keeping uh, their children uh, for keeps and uh, becoming an established religion that was challenging the status quo. 
things have changed, uh, we've become part of the establishment for better or worse. Uh, people have come to accept us. We have become more expert uh, in terms of our preaching and uh, book distribution. Uh, so this acceptance we should use to keep up our, our preaching and not worry because uh, intensive preaching will sometimes have intensive reaction. That should not uh, set us off. Uh, we should keep our beacon as being the words of our acharyas to distribute many books, to preach vigorously, to do harinam, to be visible in our clothes, etc., etc., uh, the fact that uh, Romans fed the, the early Christians to the lines didn't deter them. And uh, while the Roman Empire frowned and was afraid of uh, Christianity, and it was looked upon as some kind of new sect, because after all it was really a new religion that was uh, rejected even by its roots, uh, which was the Jewish religion that had been existent for a long time. Well, that didn't stop Christianity from becoming the world religion. So let's keep that in mind. Let's preach. Uh, let's preach according to the standards Srila Prabhupada gave us and accept whatever risks come along. Hare Krishna.